25 years ago, on March 15, 1998, the Miami Fusion kicked off their opening game in MLS's third season, becoming one of the two expansion teams in this ever-growing professional league. While the Chicago Fire would win the U.S. Open and MLS Cup double in that 1998 season, getting all the attention in the process, the Fusion would quietly grind, grow, and build over the next few years until finally putting forth a dominant Supporter Shield winning season in 2001. This team, led by Ray Hudson, played fast, loose, and exciting soccer. Alex Pineda-Chicon, Pablo Mastroeni, and Nick Romando were just some of the memorable names on this roster. This progressive playing squad was bested only by a young Landon Donovan and his San Jose Earthquakes in the Major League Soccer playoffs that year. Despite putting together one of the best seasons in MLS history at that point and arguably since, MLS made the decision to fold both the Fusion and their Florida neighbors, MLS original franchise, Tampa Bay Mutiny. While MLS soccer has returned to Miami in the form of David Beckham's Inter-Miami, much has been discussed of what could have been had the Miami Fusion been allowed to stay and build. Indeed, what would a Miami Fusion look like in 2023? This podcast tells the story of the Miami Fusion through the voices of those who actually lived it. 25 interviews across 25 episodes charting the good, the bad, and the unbelievable. My name is Joe Shaw, and this is 25 for 25, the story of the Miami Fusion from those who lived it a detox production. Join us all season long as we explore this unique slice of American sports history. This is a great sports event. This is the best ticket money can buy in South Florida. And it rocks, it absolutely rocks. After playing several years in the lower divisions of U.S. soccer for a team called the Long Island Rough Riders, you might think that is all your professional career will amount to. And then something interesting happens. An American domestic professional sports league, Major League Soccer, sets up shop in 1996 in the aftermath of the 1994 World Cup hosted on American soil. Jim Rooney took that opportunity and ran with it. Playing for the New York, New Jersey Metro Stars, now the New York Red Bulls, for his first couple of years before joining this iconic Miami Fusion franchise that we're talking about on this podcast. Quickly becoming an established locker room leader and captain for this Fusion team, Jim Rooney provided a veteran presence, a professional head, and a calm and sure demeanor to steady this incredibly energetic side. Jim joins us today for the first episode in what will surely be an incredible series on this podcast as we look back at the Miami Fusion 25 years later. Jim shares some interesting stories, including one of the worst coaches he's ever had in this game, that infamous sports bra moment at the 2001 MLS All-Star Game, and what a 2023 Miami Fusion team might look like in MLS today. Join us for Chapter 1 of 25 and 25, you're the worst coach I've ever had, featuring former Miami Fusion captain, Jim Rooney. Your perspective, your time with the Fusion from the time you're there. So did you join, maybe let's start here. So the Fusion Mm -hmm. kicked off in 1998, 
had you, did you join them during the 98 season or did you join them in 99 the following year? I, I joined them um, uh, on April 1st, believe it or not, because <laughs> there's, there's a bit, bit of a story involved there. Long story short, I had been with the Metro Stars right. the season before. And we were going through preseason and the whole nine yards. And I just got to the point, like, I forget when it was. It was the last time to, you know, set your rosters. And we had Boromil Tanovich come in. So here I am thinking, oh, this is going to be great for World Cups. As, I mean, I loved Alfonso. He brought me to the club. Um, but, you know, as a player, you know, this happens as sad as you are. Yeah. And I was like, okay, this guy's coming in and it's going to be great. You know, he's four World Cups. I mean, he must know everything. He comes in and, you know, and that season, you know, I, I led the goals. In the city. I did pretty well for, for my, the Metro Stars. Uh, yeah, for the Metro Stars. So when he came in that preseason, he kept putting me, you know, as an extra player or wherever. And so I started seeing it and I went up to him after training, you know, two weeks. I says, hey, um, Bora. You know, what's going on? No, no, no. I see you here. It's early. It's early. And it was the same thing mm -hmm. the whole time. So what ended up happening was um, this went through the whole preseason. And two weeks before all this happened, I basically went in there and said, listen, I said, I need to be traded. If you get some value for me or whatever. He goes, no, no, I see. I said, listen, you've done nothing but lie to me since I've been here. <laughs> and I said, I came to you as a man. And I says, you know, you don't like me. That's fine. I says, I think you're the worst coach I've ever seen in my life. And he tried to pick up the thing. No. And he was surprised. And I says, are you? And honestly, I have to thank the assistant coach at the time, Mo Queen. He was in the locker room at the same time. And after that, it was one of those things where, hey, um, Miami wanted me. And I, I went down over there. And Nick Megalutis I uh, was assistant coach at the time. And so he, he knew me. So that's where I was picked up from then on in. I can't even remember if it's 99 on, but it's, it's, it's just weird how things happen. You just think that, you know, I mean, here, I, I, I just wanted to compete and he wasn't letting me compete. Yeah. What was it like for you coming from now? Obviously MLS is still pretty new, right? They launched in 96. This is just a handful of years afterwards. But what was it right. like coming in from a quote unquote established club, meaning they've been they've been doing this a couple of years into a truly MLS's first ever um, foray into the expansion market? What was it like coming into a market that was truly um, new in that sense? Yeah, it, you know, they had a history before and, you know, I was a Cosmos fan before and they had Fort Lauderdale strikers. So, That's true. I, you know, as players, we kind of, you know, and they were our, our rivalry. You know, we didn't like them at all, the Cosmos fans. So, as a matter of fact, I used to give Ray Hudson problems over that you know, every, <laughs> when he was coaching. But, you know, so we knew that the, the fans were there. And it just, it just... You know, as a player, when you're involved, and I was involved with, don't forget, every player at that time was involved with, you weren't just a player. You're part of the community. You, you know, um, prior to this, you know, before MLS was USISL. And for, for, Long, for Long Island players, every one of us players, we all coached a local team. Mm. And what that did was get to know the, the other 
clubs and we spread each each of us out. And then all those kids used to come and watch me play. And that was basically the idea of it. So we all were doing that kind of stuff. So, and we had a good idea of what worked and what didn't. And, you know, when you, a lot of things I noticed at the beginning were we had appearances at um, Sedano's Marketplace, I believe it was called. And it was, a, you know, a Spanish um, grocery store, like a Publix. So we'd go to Publix. And I'm like, there's no soccer fans. They're going to give us, let's, let's go to the tournaments. Let's go to where the soccer people are. And slowly but surely, when the right people got in, unfortunately, it was at the very end. And, and we built up momentum, but it just wasn't, I, I believe they had their mind made up towards, you know, contracting us there. But we knew the fans were there and it was excited. And it's just, you know, they didn't kick off in the right way. Yeah. So knowing what a hotbed uh, Miami, I mean, we've seen, I mean, even now, right? So as we're recording this, we're recording this, it is MLS's 28th season, I believe. Mm-hmm. And they just had a huge kickoff weekend across the slate. So many teams, so much coverage in the media landscape. And the fact that you see Inter Miami, right, have such a huge presence in the market. Um, and the involvement with David Beckham, Phil Neville. They had Joseph Martinez come over from Atlanta. Prior to that, they had Gonzalo Higuain. And so taking a look at what they've got now and thinking about where they were when you were involved with them and then even going back further with NASL what do you think the league did or has done differently this go around that they weren't willing to do back with the fusion I think the biggest thing they had is um, they what they have now is belief as an owner whereas in the past it was you know let's be honest it was a bit of a um long shot in, in certain aspects on, that, on how big they want to grow this. You know, you know, our home stadium was Giants Stadium. You know, I, I believe I remember hearing at one stage just to put on the lights and have security for the, for the you know, parking and everything. It was like $100,000. Yeah. You know, so, and the, these are not our stadiums. So I think initially all, what really saved us obviously is, um, and shoots the big guy but also like the crafts and I, I, what really saved us i believe is are are those big sports guys who no matter what anyone said they believed in it yeah and i i think we were very lucky in in that regard because you know even when i even up in new england um I, when i went up there to play i mean the stadium everything i mean jonathan Kraft when you met him he was really into it yeah. and he was, he really wanted to. So when you meet play, people like that, you see it and you, you see what they build. I mean, we've asked a lot of questions um, as players and, you know, he was always willing to answer. And I think we MLS really got lucky with the people that initially got involved. And I think they did a really good job, especially hand shoots yeah. because they were able to hold on. It's almost like, you know, any stock, you know yeah. they held on and you know that's to me because you know when i go to the games now i mean it's i mean it's totally different you right. know it's you know you, you have no time to think they're shooting off things yeah. and just the announcements and walking yeah. around you, you, you 
you know, I went to an Orlando game with my daughters and, um, you know, they're sitting there and my daughter looked and said, oh, my God, Dad, you played this? <laughs> you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, yeah, I mean, it wasn't like this, but it was something like this, yeah. you know. <laughs> it's it's come such a long way. And the greatest thing for me, you know, because the guy's my age, I'm 54 now. Right. Guys my age, you know, we weren't looking to make big time money. We were looking, you know, we were always playing in the leagues regardless of of the level. We just wanted to play at the best levels as long as it made sense um, money-wise, you know, because a lot of, you know, the beginning salaries weren't that great or even survivable. Yeah. So it's just one of those things I really believe um, you got to give credit to, you know, just certain guys. And, you know, listen, people could say anything they want about Don Garber. Don Garber really made this thing roll to what yeah. it is now. And you, yeah. he's made a lot of, right. Listen, he made a decision on Tampa Bay and us, but you know, it's, and you know, the funny thing is Dallas is the team that we had heard prior to that, that was going on there. I heard that well, too. They, and they, what ended up happening was they built Frisco. That was yep. in the worst. And so from there, that's when everything kind of changed. It was Tampa and them because they were the only two league-owned teams. Yeah. So um, that's right because the hunt the hunt stepped in to buy Dallas because at the time correct. Dallas was also a league-owned team, and that's why I think there was the chatter about Dallas getting contracted. But then at one point, you talked about Anschutz and Kraft, and then Hunt. Hunt mm -hmm. had Kansas City, Columbus, and Dallas all together um, right. at that point. But yeah. You're right. Yeah, I mean, and like and like you say, the Hunts. Forgive me for not. I mean, those three. I mean, him really. Hunt and um, and shoots and craft. Yeah. I mean, you really gotta hand it to those guys. And listen, those guys were big time sports people. Yeah. So I mean, that really helped. And you know, look look where it's gone on from there. Yeah. Um, all to them. Yeah, definitely. Really. I want to. I want to wind the clock back a bit and let's go to 1999. Um, let's party like it's 1999, if you will. Um, and let's oh, talk. I did. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about. Um, so it was, you know, it was. I want to pause for a moment and talk about um, just for half a moment. We talk about going to the Orlando game and what a spectacle that was. I went to uh, Q2 Stadium in Austin during their inaugural year. Because I wanted mm. to experience. Now, I've grown up Dallasite, Dallas fan. I was at the Cotton Bowl. I was at South Lake Dragon Stadium. I was at Frisco Stadium. I mean, I've been all over the Metroplex. And at our height, we could not get to the level that Austin was at in that year mm -hmm. one. I mean, it was unlike the only time I'd experienced that level of intensity and spectacle. The only thing close was when I went to see a Millwall game in England. I mean, that was as close as I got. Yeah. And it's wild. It is yeah. not the MLS of yesteryear. That's for sure in a lot of respects. Yeah, and and like I said, you see that stadium and, the, yeah. the, you know, the production. It, it, I mean, there's no expense spared now. Mm -hmm. And and like I said, they, they deserve it all. And, you know, the best thing about it is, for me, as a, as a former player, I mean, just we never had that youth yeah academy attached to a pro team and to me i i, I often see that and I, and I think of the young kids that actually can see that i mean that that's just i mean i even saw it from the cosmos and yet there wasn't a league i still dreamed it yeah you know and here here you have um 
young players that really have an opportunity and it's 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 a great thing to see yeah it it really is especially you can see the full you can see the partnerships with the school mm-hmm. districts. You can see the partnerships with the communities and you have teams like Dallas, right? Or even St. Uh, Charlotte actually selling homegrowns mm-hmm. before they even make the first team just based on pure right. talent and, and potential alone. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's totally, totally different. Yeah. Um, yeah. Going back to 1999, when you joined the fusion, you're part of the fusion. Um, at this point, um, the team has has been around for a year, so it's it's had a moment to gel a bit. But I, I wonder what was it like for you coming in at that point in time? I believe was Carlos Cordoba still the manager at that point, and then he left. No, no he had left at that point. I, okay. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I came that was in ninety eight. I yep. came in when e- Evo Wharton. That's in. right. Okay, so what was it like coming in for Evo, coming in under Evo, and then sort of getting acclim- acclimated to the team? Yeah. Um, and then, and then eventually assuming that leadership position. Yeah. Well, first, first we, you mentioned being acclimated to the team. I had to get acclimated to the weather. <laughs> uh, you know, that's true. Going we, from New we, York to Miami. Yeah. We came, I came in and I, you know, nine in the morning and we're running around warming up. And I, I remember the sun felt like it was right here on my head. Oh my God. And I was like, I was just saying to I said, we train in this every day. And they're like, oh yeah, brother, here we go. And it's, it's like two weeks until you really get to know your body, yeah. you know, what you need, water and, you know, all that stuff. But it was, it was so hot going there. But the one thing I would say, Evo was an excellent coach. Yeah. He, he you know, from going where I was from, you know, to me, you know, Bora Militanovic from Metro Stars, he was more of like when the cameras were there, he was on. Mm. He, he, he knew his stuff. But as far as that goes, you know, I, I just, it was different. So when I got the Evo, he was so organized. He'd come in, everything kind of made sense before. Cause you know, as a player, you walk in and, you know, you, you want consistency in the sense of, you know, what I need to do to prepare before I go on the field. Right. And it may not be the same as um, my teammates, but once we get to a certain, you know, it gives you that time and you're ready to go everything just flowed our water breaks everything was good the problem is him and carlos balderrama had an issue right and back in those days you know it's it, it, it it's a big problem and then slowly but surely um then the pressure kind of built and we we ended up um, trading carlos to tampa and then things were going good but then things weren't going good and then he he just changed a little bit from the pressure mm. and you know he was even we had a night game and we gave out sunglasses the day before he was wearing the sunglasses at night no. you know you know we were calling him Corey hart <laughs> <laughs> and you know right. it's just i mean you just seen what pressure kind of did to him you know and he lived in the same um apartment complex we did it he was an unbelievable guy unbelievable coach everything it's just the timing of everything that was going down and the pressure of doing good we had to do good so once we got rid of carlos you know who do we replace him with you know it's it's difficult from there so um but getting into the team i I felt kind of refreshed because it was 
it was very different because we had a lot of young guys like Leo Cullen yep. came in, Pablo Mastriani, first year guys. Great turns out they had great careers, but at the beginning it's tough. Especially when you you know, I can't tell you how many games we had where we had goals being scored the first five minutes and the last five minutes of each half. And and when you're with young players, you're focusing on that. And that's what kept happening. Oh, we'd lose last five minutes from a mistake, of, uh, you know, but we were young. Yeah. And, you know, you just saw it happen and we worked hard at don't give it up. Don't, and the more you do it, the more it happens. So all those things kind of happened all at the same time. And then, um, we, you know, then in comes, not, not as early, but then in comes uh, Doug Hamilton. And then with Ray Hudson coming in, everything kind of settled down. Yeah. Because one of the other things I want to, you know, we mentioned is the biggest thing I remember early on, like we need to get a Haitian player. Everybody said we need to get a, a Polish player because there's a lot of Polish people in Chicago. Yeah. I mean, that was the kind of thing where, you know, I think a lot of teams are focused on that. Whereas players, I mean, our best team, we had, we had every nationality you could possibly think of. Yeah. You know, you just, you just need to have, I mean, we had Colombians, we had Yugoslavs, you know, Irish, we had English, South Africans. I mean, you know, Colombians, yeah. you know, everything, Hondurans. So it doesn't matter. You just have to get the right players. Yeah. You know, and at that yeah. time, it was kind of like, we need, you need a catch to, for the people to come in. Yes. No, you need to win. You yes. need to win. Yeah. You know, and that's, or at least show that you're, you know, if you're not winning yet, you're on the word, you're working hard. Right. You know, that's a, that's so, a really good point that I, I don't think enough, um, fans of MLS now I was talking to this one guy the other day and he was like, I've been a fan of MLS forever. And I'm like, Oh yeah. He's like 10 years. I'm like, man, you weren't there in the bowels of the mm -hmm. cotton bowl with crickets going right. literal crickets, hopping over the empty seats because there were so yeah. many empty seats. Like you're, you're coming in 10 years ago. That's, that's a lifetime. Right. But, but thinking about back then when, when MLS was trying to get, like you said, a hook into the audience, yeah. you didn't know, any of these leagues or play like this league or these teams or the players. And so I remember, for instance, Hugo Sanchez was a huge, yeah. like promoted player here in Dallas. Right. And they yeah. specifically had Hugo Sanchez here for that reason. Um, and then he was here and gone here and gone. And they were yeah. like, but we gotta, we gotta replace him. Who are we going to get? Who are we going to get? And then I remember when Dallas got its best seasons was when you had the right players, regardless of nationality that were working together and gelling together. And then they created sort of this identity, this team identity that then you could go out and find players that fit into that identity as you're going into the transfer market. But right. Yeah. Right. But now think about it. Oscar Pereja. Right. Exactly. No, no one heard of Oscar. Exactly. And he comes in and he changes the whole thing mm -hmm. you know and and look at the career he's having now mm -hmm. i mean that's just I mean, you you got to get the right guys you got to right. get good teammate guys you know it's it's very difficult you know because at the time we had to bring in the stars right yes i get i get that the problem is we didn't have the money for the other guys right you know yeah. you know it's it's just it just becomes difficult and then the, you know you see as players we understood certain guys got um preferential treatment it is what it is right but you know it's still that way now but it does you know 
for for us it doesn't matter it just it just gets to the point where they had a hook and now you don't need it anymore right back then you you did a little bit you know you got to be fair you know to i mean look at um uh peter nowak for me yeah and marco echeverry i mean i had to play every time I, i always look at that you know once they came over midfield they were my responsibility right and you know playing against those guys i mean i just I just tried to get them angry and hit them and, you know, d- do our thing, let them think of me. Right. You yeah. Know? And I, I, I used to be able to do, I could never do it to Peter. Peter Nowak was one of the, like, I mean, I can't tell you the things that Echeverry called me, you know, it's <laughs> yeah, everything, but Nowak, he just had this way of throwing his elbow and he'd catch you. And then after the game, he'd love it. He'd say, Great match, great match. You know, he loved the physicality because he knew what I had to do. Yeah. You know, he didn't take it personal, you know. But, I mean, he was unbelievable. Those kind of guys, that level of player, we we hadn't seen. And that's those players are the the types of players that we needed, and we started to get after that. Right. I mean, you you bring up Peter Nowak, and it made me think of – he's not the coach of Philadelphia now, obviously, but – but Philadelphia yeah. Union here in the 20, 20, you know, 28th season, 2023, they almost won the Supporters' Shield and MLS Cup both last year. And they started out, you know, all of these previews, all these previews, who's the big name player on this team, this team. And Philadelphia, the the headline is like you got a bunch of hardworking blue-collar guys, right? And no real mm-hmm. names, a couple names here and there, right? Andre Blake, goalkeeper of the year, a couple of names, but no real name names. But the identity is that they work well together. They gel together. They're unbelievable as a team. And then they go out and just stomp the competition on opening day. And you can see how well-oiled of a machine they are because they're mm-hmm. all working together. And that that is the evolution of where you want to go. And that's where you get the leagues that are the top leagues that have a few players but are exciting to watch because you've got these teams that are just ripping and roaring in so many different ways. Yeah. And it's funny that you mentioned Philadelphia because I, when you, when when I watched the games this week and when I saw them, I wanted to see them. And again, just see how the and you know if you look at their lineup, they're playing a four, four two and a diamond. Yep. And it's it's it shows like that, and it's different, and that's something different where that used to be the way it is. Now everyone's four three 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 five. You know yep. what it is three four. And it's just, and you see the way they play. They understand every aspect. I mean, to beat that team, you got to play a full ninety minutes. Yeah, easy. Yeah, I mean, and it's and and it's one of those. I mean, they have a great goalkeeper with Blake. Yes, you know, you see those. I mean, it's just those are the guys that. I mean, we don't really know them, right? You know, in a sense, all over the place, and even even the guy. What's the I, I watched um, the Austin game yes that's center forward you see yeah 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 i mean i mean what a talented player and and that and to me those are the players and you know i think mls should be just like what it is now yeah for the likes of players like almira yes you know it moves on if you get that reputation and we could sustain the league and we could become but for now that should be a major part of it because i mean it's 
I don't think people realize like in America, it's, it's almost like the last frontier because right. Europe's tapped out everything. And realistically, American players are not expensive. Right. You know, Weston McKinney is now, but, but prior to that, going over to Germany, he's not. Right. You, you know, so if you do your homework, and that's what I'm saying, with the leagues here, MLS has become very important. Yeah. Well, for, and, for teams all over the world. Yeah, and you give you give players like Almiron and Driussi and even Pepe here in Dallas before he, he went over, yeah. over to Europe, the opportunity to play in a high-stakes environment with the mm -hmm. lights and the glitz and the glamour, sort, sort of, I don't want this to, to sound insulting, but sort of with a safety net, meaning mm -hmm. you get a little bit more of an opportunity to recover and make people forget when you have a bad game. Whereas mm -hmm. you see things like in the EPL, where if you make a mistake, you have a bad game, you don't get many other chances to, to make it right. Yeah. Like that's about it. Um, so it gives yeah. you the opportunity to hone the craft in a way that a very few leagues can give you nowadays. Right. And, and this is the thing for me. I, I mean, if you really listen to it, um, you'll see it too. I mean, you have to remember we're still Americans yeah. in, in a foreign game in their minds in a lot of ways. If you just watch um, the likes of uh, Christian play, Pulisic playing for Chelsea and he takes a shot and it goes over the bar, they say, oh, he missed up his stat. You know, but if, if Mason Mount does the same thing, it's always oh, just unlucky. Yeah, you know, and you know, I had a little time going, you know, over in Europe um, when I went to the Metro Star with Metro Stars. I wanted to play. Uh, back then, they didn't really have loans or anything like that, so I wanted to go and train. So I ended up training and playing in Ireland, and you know, that's not even a good league, and they just think that they could they could have come over and played. Yeah, you know, it's just we just don't have that respect right now, even now. Yeah. The more respect we we should, guys like um, Tyler are changing that view. Yeah, in England, but you know, and, and it's not helping with the American owners. Chelsea's doing bad. Right. They just don't. <laughs> they just don't like it. Right. You know, when yeah. it's the the Americans are involved. You know, because we watch the Premier League, and you know that's what everybody wants to do. And listen, our players are good enough. Right. They just need the opportunity. Yeah. And, that's, this is why the MLS to me is so important because a guy like remember Carlos Spokenegra, he okay. played four years fully yeah. and he got it under his belt and then he went over to, to, to Europe. And that, to me, at least the, you know, when you're, if you, if you're starting in the MLS and you got to, he, he did four years, it was a different time, but even right. if you do two or three years, you're going to get playing at the right time in the right age of your development to understand and then if you want to go go ahead yeah. but i i think that's the real benefit of us and the other benefit of the mls is making all the other Concacaf teams better yeah <laughs> i mean it's true we're, we're killing ourselves as well I mean, it's the same thing in europe too with yeah. england you know all the best players are foreign players right and they wonder why Eng england's not doing so well right you know <laughs> yeah. it's no, exactly. it's the same thing for us yeah um, going to the 1999 season when you were there and playing with the Fusion, I know from a statistic standpoint, y'all made the playoffs, but what was it like? I fondly remember 1999 in my mind, right? As the year of Jason Christ, that was the year where he 
topped the Golden Boot Race with Stern John and Roy Lassiter. But what was it like um, for you playing against some of these prolific strikers on the team in Miami? And at the time, y'all were, were well, every team had kind of middling attendance, but trying to trying to keep interest locally and also keep results tight on the field. Yeah, I mean, that's... Uh... That's that's the thing that um, everybody tend, doesn't seem to understand. I mean, everybody's aware of yeah. what's going on. Um, maybe we're not aware totally. Like even, for, for example, that last year, you know, you, you, you just heard rumors, but it was what, you know, even the second year, you know, you got people coming in and the owner trying to talk to you and blah, 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 and seeing that it's a young team and you know i'm looking around my locker room and i'm seeing young young players and we had like seven yeah really young players you know so you have to give those guys time and you you know that you know for me i knew at the time i was still trying to fit in myself they were just trying to figure out a way what's the best way for us to stop stop the bleeding right really and you know it got to a point where um, no matter what we did, it just didn't work. It wasn't for a lack of trying. It was just, I think, you know, knowing now inexperienced players, I mean, actually very, you know, uh, caught Jeff Kassar out on a 50 yard. I think it was the goal of the year. Yeah. 50 yards out playing. We were up for a corner getting ready to score and he scores. I mean, every little thing like that. I mean, we were on the blooper reel. Yeah, you know, there's just nothing you could do about it. Yeah, and it was just a very trying year, and it was just basically okay. We, I, I we never thought that you know it was going to go, but we just have to try and keep continuing to get better and get better, and then there's frustrations of not starting. And you know, the funny thing is that people don't understand at the time uh, when you had um, players that remember the college draft and. All the players that played in the ACC, if they got drafted, because ACC was the best kind of conference at the time, all those players had an attitude like, well, I played the ACC, so I should start. Mm. You know, I should be playing. Right. And that was a bit of a problem. We had a couple of those guys, and we had to sort those guys out, you know, (laughs) because they're complaining and, you know, all these little things that, you know, everything was so new, you know, I mean, the professional side of the game. You know, now we say, hey, these are the professional standards. Now you're talking to, you're talking to a kid who went through um, college, at, say, for example, Clemson. The whole, you know, goes through Clemson. And, you know, assuming it's the best level, I should be started. Now you have a guy like me that played probably seven, eight years prior to him in the lower leagues before MLS yep. and the ethnic leagues in New York City. And, you know, so when you hear stuff like that in training, you make sure he's going to hear you, you know, and and you go after him, you know, physically and everything. So there was a lot of that learning for players and just foreigners to come around, you know, just melding. It's very, you know, it's very difficult. Sounds easy. Right. But it's hard, especially at the time. And now you're talking about. So, for say, for example, one of your high-paid players is not putting out doesn't sh- whatever he does, and then you have the same guys coming in all the time making low money. It's a problem. Yep. You know, it's just like your regular job. Now it's changed. Right. Because, 
it's you know it's 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 proper but you know you got a guy making thirty thousand dollars and this guy's telling him something he goes okay let's go to the parking lot let's sort this out <laughs> you know yeah it's yeah. a little different in terms in terms of that it's it's much more professional but I remember that team at 99, everybody was trying and with the right attitude, just things didn't go our way, right. no matter what we did. And like I said, Evo was, I mean, so organized with coaching it, and then it just, you know, the pressure just kind of gets to it. And, you know, yep. from there, everybody's talking. And back then we even had boards back then, the boards, <laughs> meshed boards. <laughs> and then, I mean, forget it. It was, it was done from there. What was, um, what were some of your early memories in or just memories in general, maybe that year or the next year of the travel in MLS and the any open cup games? I mean, something I was trying to explain to somebody the other day was how someone would take a cross country flight, right? New York to LA in coach yeah. and be waiting to board with um just regular you know class like like uh boarding class seven or whatever right like just tossing your bags in and and get go none of the private flights that we see today none of the shuttles which i'm glad we've grown in the in the thing but just like people can't seem to wrap their head wait a minute this isn't minor this is professional so what was the or major right but what was the what were what memories do you have of just the travel in general in this league I absolutely loved the travel in the MLS <laughs> because at the time, don't forget, I used to travel by bus. Right. Oh, yeah. In the, in the in the lower leagues, and we stayed in some of these hotels that you wouldn't even believe, you know. And there was one time when we were the uh, prior to MLS, it was like a crack crack hotel. <laughs> It was, and, and our general manager, we can't stay here. It was the nights in, in Baltimore. Said, we can't stay here. So it was, and you know, we used to, we used to play games from Long Island to North Carolina on the Friday and then drive from the Friday and then play a Sunday game or sometimes even a Saturday game. And then from a bus, then take that bus back to Long Island. And at the time I was working construction in Manhattan. Oh wow! So, so I was working and then playing. If you want to call it professional, you know, it was really semi-professional. I was making three grand a month, right? You know, <laughs> for them, and so it was, I was like, "This is great!" <laughs> you know, I'm on planes. You know, I right. and the hotels were great. You know, I mean, we walked into the sand. That's the one thing we always stayed at the hotels were always we walked into the san jose hotel i was like this is great (laughs) you know so that didn't bother me it's 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 just those um the amount of uh times that you know it's tough to play for a team like kansas city because no matter where you go you have two flights yeah so and people don't really realize that and i'll be honest with you i always had a difficult time when we flew from uh, to play in San Jose. I don't know why the San Jose, it was just that three hour difference, you know, and the problem, like I was not a great sleeper as it was. I go to bed at, at the time, especially late as it is. And then once you have that time, you can't get to sleep properly. Mm-hmm. So all those things 
come into play. But I mean, for the most part, our travel, um, it was like you said, it, 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 it wasn't anything special. It was like how I take, if I'm going to go on vacation now, it's the same thing. It's just, you just, you have a much more, a lot more friends on your team. Right. I mean, and to be honest, we had a great time flying. I mean, if you, to be honest with you, that is the one thing. If you ask any player, what do you really miss? Because I mean, yeah, you miss the games and stuff, but to, but to play the games, you got to prepare. Like my ankles towards the end, you know, you're so sore and you're hurt and and what have you. Um, it's really the camaraderie of the guys. Yeah, you know, you're just around. And I mean, <clears throat> I remember being in the airport in Atlanta, and Duke was playing the national championship game, and we were sitting in. Um, TGIFs and I think it was it was something like a TGIFs there, and we wanted to see the rest of the game and we had to board. So then all of a sudden, over the loudspeaker, it comes, "Hey, um, we'll give you a five hundred dollar voucher if you you know the flight's overbooked." Right. Five hundred dollar voucher. So we heard that, and we're like, "Wait a second, we could stay, watch the game, have a couple more drinks," because it was after. I think I'm going to take it. So I walked over to, to, to Ray and said, Ray, any changes that we have no training tomorrow, whatever you want to do. Sure enough, we all did it. We watched the game, saved $500 and we came home the next day. <laughs> I mean, that, those kind of things, like yeah. spur the moment things, just hanging, you know, hanging out with your, you know, pretty much your best friends, yeah. guys that you're really, you know, it's not just hanging out with your friends. It's you're, you're doing things with these guys that you'll never do with anybody else, you know, right. competing, fighting. They understand what you're going through and, you know, your ups and downs and, you know, even your, if you have family issues, what's going on. It's, it's, those are the things because you never get it back. You don't talk guys as much as you obviously do when you're in it yeah and those are those are the things you don't realize you're gonna miss yeah and 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 that's the biggest thing for us moving forward you know just the friendships involved that is something that i think is so uh key and important is is that camaraderie and you you can really see it um especially on the field you know you can tell when people have got it and when they're they're merging well right. and you've got that chemistry i want to I want to shift gears then and talk about the the 2000 season, which was a bit. It was less successful on the field. However, there was a key change in the coaching staff middle of the year that would define the the incredible 2001 season, and that's when Ray Hudson ended up coming onto the team. So we talked a bit about sort of the sunglasses at night, as it were, uh, of of Evo. Um, yeah, but what was it? in 2000 Miami had been around for a bit attendance was continuing to dip you're probably hearing the rumblings people were talking about is the league going to contract what is the league going to do how are things going to move I mean and let's let's put this in a time box for folks so Miami and Tampa Bay were contracted in 2001 there were no mm -hmm. expansion teams 2002 2003 2004 and then 2005 you get Real Salt Lake and I want to say both Real Salt Lake and Chivas USA who later got contracted, mm -hmm. entered the league. Right. And then, again, no real growth for a couple of years. And then we've got Seattle in 2009, and then, boom, we're off to the races with all these expansion teams 
Um, I might be misremembering if someone came in 2006, seven or eight. I don't I mean, think so, but yeah, t- Toronto came in 2010. You're right. 2007. So actually Toronto did come in 2007. Okay. That's what it yeah. was. I, I'll never forget Danny Dicchio getting that opening goal. Yeah. His big bald head. Yeah. And, um, but, uh, but yeah, that's right. So thank you for that. So Real Salt Lake Chivas came in 2005. Toronto FC came in 2007. Seattle came in 2009. And then that's when we started having, and then Vancouver and Portland came 2011. Boom, 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 boom. So that's right. So, so, f- yeah. so there was no real growth as far as those expansion cities yet. We had the contraction. And then just sort of let's hold everything. Let's hold the stock, right, as it were, as you're talking about, until we can continue yeah. to grow and grow and grow. But but hearing the but coming back to 2000, hearing the rumblings, hearing um, maybe trying to figure out, like, how can we continue to grow the team? Co- coaching turmoil, Ray Hudson comes in. I want to ask you sort of as a leader of the team at that point in time, what was what was your mentality when results aren't going the right way, Evo leaves and then Ray comes in. Yeah, it, the 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 funny part about all that when that was going with Evo, because prior to that things were coming in the paper, and Evo had said, you know, some players had said something in the paper, and he had some problems with it. Um, and then the next day, two days later, Evo said something about the players in the paper and the players had a problem with it. So there was all sorts of, that's how tense it was. Right. You know, and it got to the point where, um, you know, Ray was our television announcer. And he used to sit behind me on the flights. And that's how me and Ray became friends. Right. You know, just talking, you know, he'd ask a couple of questions here and there. And we just became friendly and blah, blah, blah. But the thing with Ray was, Ray was so positive. I mean, that's the biggest thing about Ray. Listen, we know the shit's falling, you know, crumbling down. Yeah, yeah. we're fucked. What are we going to do? <laughs> you know, and it comes to the point where, listen, there's only one way out of it. You've got to stick together and, and, and go on from there. Look, let's play football. Mm-hmm. Regardless Let's play. Ray had, you know, Ray prior to that, which most of the players we we wouldn't know at the time. I mean, Ray was obviously when when he was hired, he was the community. I, I, this is unbelievable. He was the community. Uh, what was it? Community director, and basically, what Ray was doing at the time was going to all the schools, right? doing appearances and he would um you know a big assembly and so we'd go as players every now and then that's how most of the players knew who ray was yeah he was the community director so we would do things with you know elementary and we juggled the ball and then ray would come in with the teacher and i'll never forget his his big thing was he says okay yes we're doing that and he goes wait hold on a second and you know, he'd have little kids come up and then he, he goes, okay, you kids are doing great. And the pros are doing great. He goes, Hey, does anybody want to see if their teachers can do it? You know? <laughs> so he had a, them heading a ball, right? Teaching them how to head a ball to throw it up and do all this. So then the teachers come up and all the kids are screaming, get the kid teachers up, you know? Yeah. So now he has a line of like eight teachers and he did this all the time. 
And all of a sudden he'd go and, you know, obviously we're working with a Nerf ball. Right. You know, for the little kids, you know. And so all of a sudden he goes, wait a second, before we do this, he goes, kids, what do you want the teachers to do? Do you want them to do them with the, the Nerf ball or do you want them to use the really hard one? <laughs> you know? And then that just erupted yeah. for the kids. And now the teachers are throwing the ball and you know, they, they're hitting their nose the whole nine yards. <laughs> that's, that's who the young players thought who Ray was. Yeah. They didn't know he was the, you know, the former player, the icon. And they realized real quick when he became the coach, they announced his name was way louder than anybody else's. Wow. He was like a rock star the first time, you know, coming out. I mean, it was unbelievable when he took over, you know, and, you know, that fed the belief of the players, you know, like, hey, these fans really love this guy. Let's hear what he has to say. And Ray was so genuine. Yeah. You know, he's the player. He's a player's player. And he's like, listen, I mean, honestly, when, when he had signed um, Ian Bishop, you know, Ian Bishop was the big player and he comes in and I noticed in the midfield, Ian kept going back. He was signed as the attacking midfielder. So Ian would get the ball over the center backs and I would just say, you know what, Ray, he tends to like to get the ball off the center backs. I go, there's no point me and you, me and him both. But I go, do you want me to push up further up the field? And he goes, all right, whatever you want to do, whatever you think is good, you know? Yeah. And if it made sense, he was all for it. And the only thing that Ray said to each and every one of us, he goes, listen, you have total freedom on the ball. And he says, the only thing is when it breaks down, he goes, you get your ass back as soon as you can in your defensive positions. And that's mm -hmm. it. You know, no questions from me. And it was as simple as that, you know? And it was, it got to the point where our trainings, um, you know, as it is, it, it, you know, when things aren't going back one day, um, well, I, I should say to you, when he did get the job, he come, come to me and, and he made me the captain. And he had said to me, listen, a lot of things are going to go on and a lot of things you may not understand. He says, but I'm going to have a go at you in, other, in front of other people. And he goes, and if you say one word back to me, he says, keep your mouth quiet just take it and i was like all right you know in a normal conversation like me and you were having that yeah. right that's no problem i can accept that right now come to a half come to halftime when things are not going well and there was one game where in fairness precky wasn't on yeah you know that's right precky was playing for the fusion at this point yep yeah and precky wasn't on and you know precky was a great player yes. you know and but when he wasn't on he was so frustrated he kept doing the same things over and over again. So I just had a pop. I said, hey, all right, Precky, it's okay. It's okay. Back, back, back. You know, just play it back. And he's, Precky's like, no. And then Precky's yelling at me. So I'm like, are you serious? You know, come on, Precky, just play it. It's no big deal, you know. Yeah. But you get to the locker room. And I'm like, okay, Ray's going to sort this out. And I thought I played pretty good and at the time. And get into the locker room. And he's going on about, and he's he walks in. He goes, Precky comes up. He goes, Precky, okay, lad, okay, no problem. Just keep it going. I know it's fine. You're doing fine, and everything. And he's praising everybody in the locker room. And he looks at me and he goes, and you, sharpen it up, right to me. I went, I looked at him like, 
huh? And he goes, I told you to sharpen and he ripped into me. Sharpen it up, shut your mouth and get your, you know, yeah. sharpen it up or else you get, and I was so, I'm like, is, is he is he kidding me now? He's going to take it out on me here, really? And so I was like, okay, you know, and what happens? Chris Henderson comes, don't worry about Roots, Pish, and I, all everybody's, it's all right, Roots, let's go. Went out there and it changed. We, we ended up winning the game, changed. He just knew he could yell at me and I could get away with it with those guys because he, me and him had just such a great relationship. I, I, you know, it just worked in the sense of he's just an honest guy. And he just, you just felt he just wanted what was best, not only for the organization, but more importantly for the individual player. Right. And as a, as a group. Yeah. I mean, there were things that people don't even know, like players had an issue, um, you know, and he found out about it. He goes, I don't want to see you for four days. Get out of here. And he went for four days to sort out his family and came back. All he said to us was, listen, he's going to be, he's not going to be here for two or three days. That's it. Okay. Yeah. No problem. No one asked questions. Mm-hmm. And it's, he just, Ray just has the human element of knowing where to touch yeah you know it, it just does when it comes to a football player yeah he knows the game inside and out when it comes to that and like i said once you see that you know we knew things were getting better and you know it it, it just between doug and ray leading us we're like listen this is our best shot yeah these are our guys so as players you know honestly it was very easy to follow ray that's incredible that really does shine in the the player's coach right and then the human element because at the end of the day we're all we're, we've all got something we're struggling with or we care about or we're caring mm-hmm. that is outside of the game and so to be able to see that and be able to reach in and connect with each of the players on that level, it's mm-hmm. it's it's too unfortunately rarely seen in in a lot of respects. I think we're seeing it a lot more now um, mm-hmm. in, in different ways, but it's it definitely um, took a while yeah. to. And to that's get a, here. and that's the thing that you know what people think of Ray Hudson and you know his quotes and he's a great TV announcer and he has right. all those stuff. I mean, honestly he's such a he's a wordsmith and the the things he thinks of you know he loves the poetry and all this kind of complete opposite of me (laughs) and he just he just also has that human feeling for for us you know he just knows what to say at the right time and you know for, for soccer players you know but he doesn't like X's and O's, like he always like he always used to say to us, "I'm not into the X's and O's." Like he never did, he never did a training session for us. Really, wow. it was John Trask. He goes, oh, "Look, sure. they'll do it." He he would walk around and you know you know see what's going on. And you know, one day he came to me and said, "Hey, you know, we had a rough couple of games." And he said to us, "He says, listen, if anybody, how you feeling?" I go, oh, "I'm all right, I'm good." He goes, "All right, if anybody's hurting, he says, just let let me know. We'll see." So we did like a little rondo for maybe 10 minutes and we came back and I, you know, I walk around and I go, I came up to Pablo and Pablo Mastriani was the fittest guy on our team yeah. in the sense that, and he, he would, 
the hard worker, just everything, just a real honest player. And he says, oh, you know, my hamstrings are a little sore. Runes and I'm a little tight, so I, no big deal. I said, right. and I walked over and I said to Ray, he says, everything good? I said, yeah, you know, Pablo said he's a little tight. He goes, okay, that's it, guys, going for the showers. That's it, training done. That's it. Those are the kind of things he did. Yeah, you know, because he was tired. And then you do things like that the next day everybody's at practice. Yeah. Everybody's ready, raring to go and everybody wants to play. Yeah. I mean, he, he had those little things and forget the X's and O's. It's the other things that he had as well, but he doesn't get, he doesn't get the right proper, you know, uh, even during when we were playing there, they're like, yeah, but he's just this right now. Ray, no, Ray's a good manager. Yeah. Very good manager of people. And he knows the game. The, um, I think that's a good segue into the so the the final season of the fusion, the incredible two thousand and one, the winning the supporter shield, which I don't even know if it was technically being awarded at that point. It's retroactively given, or if they had started officially oh, giving it out at that point. I remember they we, we received the supporter shield. Okay. I remember them saying that during that time. Okay, so. cool. I couldn't remember. It was somewhere in the nineties yeah. where it started and I couldn't quite yeah. remember. So, okay. So, but winning the supporter shield best for those who are n not familiar, the best regular season record across, across the league. Um, having all of these, this dynamite energy, a uh, incredible, uh, goalkeeper by the name of Nick Ramondo who joined in 2000 and it really came into his own in 2001. Um, and and I'm just going to pull some stats. So for that particular season, he had 16 wins, only five losses and five draws, mm -hmm. and an incredible plus 21 goal differential, more than any anybody else. Chicago came second with 20, but just absolutely. And this was, oh, I forgot about this. This was back in the wonderful w days of the Eastern, Western, and Central conferences um, back yeah. then. <laughs> but you had Alex <laughs> Pineda-Chicon. Golden Boot winner yeah. with 19 goals. So you had the Golden Boot winner. You had the Supporters' Shield. You were all over the place. Unfortunately, the MLS Cup didn't come out because y'all dropped it to the Earthquakes in the semis. Um, but mm -hmm. what was and, – and Donovan's led Earthquakes is what I should say at that point. You, mean you, should, you should say MLS-led San Jose. <laughs> I should. You are absolutely yeah. correct. Yeah, um, with I'm, all the since it's twenty five years, I can say it. Now. <laughs> ML, I, hey, MLS wanted to make sure, right? Hey, <laughs> the golden boy with the golden argue, hair. You can't argue. You can't argue with them now. Yeah, no, no, got that MLS cup. Um, yeah, but let there's a couple of moments I want to key in on that. But actually, so before we even start on that, let me key in on that since we're talking about Donovan. I will never forget. The image of the 2001 MLS All-Star Game. Jimmy Rooney gets a goal, does a Brandy Chastain celebration. For those that don't know, taking the jersey off of the sports bra underneath. Iconic at the 1999 World Cup winning penalty kick goal. He did the Brandy Chastain celebration. And then right after that comes Landon Donovan mimicking Jim Rooney with the exact same celebration. I'll never forget it. So um, mm -hmm. I just want to add, I want to key in on the all-star game. What was, what, what was that whole planning like for you? So that whole thing just came about like you, everybody thinks like uh, it's a big plan. This was an all-star game weekend. Right. Back then 
Ray told us to have a good time, really enjoy it. Yeah. And so, so we did, you know, and what happened was we were at the skills competition before, beforehand and I was in the shooting ex exhibition. And at the time it was uh, Mamadou Diallo. Oh yes. Yes. Me, me and John Spencer. Remember Johnny Spencer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're to, we're there, and Brandy Chastain sits in, in San Jose. She is basically doing the MC yeah. of this of the uh, the shooting competition. Right. So while she's talking, we're waiting. You know, they're getting set up. You know, we're saying, "Oh, that's her." You know, and just, oh, okay, that's her. And Mama Dudiala has no idea who she is. <laughs> and so we're like, "Really? You know, you have no idea." You know, World Cup spending is like. Listen, World Cup on their knees doing the whole thing. Right. And he's like, I do, I do not know this woman. Cover of We're Sports like, oh, Illustrated, geez. everything. Yeah. Everything. Right. So, you know, then I went making fun of him because he's from Africa. I says, You didn't see it in the African paper, you know, all that kind of stuff. So we get to the point there, Spenny just sitting there just says, You know, wouldn't it be brilliant if one of us did that? And I just said to him, Get me a bra and I'll do it. And he said, he just looks at me seriously. And so from there, we kind of forgot about it. And then there's, there's, I, I won't, this won't give it out. But while we were there, you know, you have people taking care of you. There's agents and people working for MLS. And this one girl, you know, we were talking about it. We were laughing. And then she goes, you know, because they were there all weekend too. She goes, you know, I have a sports bra. So then from there, I said, really, can I borrow it? You know, joke, right, next right. thing you know, we get it. And so it was just that. That's all it was. It wasn't this big plan. Sure. You know, I've heard I've heard people saying that I was doing it to um, honor Brandy Chastain. I mean, I'm not that deep, <laughs> you know. I, right, we just I, talked I about the lack of poetry, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm not that deep, you know. And like, I, look, she, she's great. She looked great at the time, everything. Right. Yeah. And... So it, it got to the point where, okay, here we, and then we were just training and just talking about it. And then all of a sudden Ray and Doug Hamilton says, listen, I don't want to know anything about it. And they just kind of took off. But the problem I didn't realize. So it was on ABC and they mic up a player on each team and they asked me to do it. And I was like, really? So here I am, this guy's micing me up. And I'm wearing a bra and he's hooking up and he's just shaking his head just like that. And now we got a score, you know, right. like the rest of the players are kind of feeding us and everything like that. I had absolutely no idea Landon was doing anything. No one knew. And that's, we were just, it was just our thing. It was just a little joke. And then when I did it, you know, the funny thing is Clint Mathis was there and, and, and Benny, and they were, Clint was injured at the time. He says, when you do it, you run right over to me, you know, because yeah. he was the first one to greet me on the field. Yeah. And it was just one of those in amongst the guys, yeah. we thought, type joke. Right. And then also we do it, and then we've seen Landon doing it. And I remember Timmy Howard, now that you mentioned Timmy Howard. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. He started, he started yelling, you can't do that. What are you doing? <laughs> I had no idea he was going to do it. But... <laughs> That was, this was my story. And then after that, you know, um, little did I know I was being interviewed from everybody. 
Yeah. I, I, you know, asking me about why did you do this? Did you do, you know, I could, you know, you can't tell the whole story, right. <laughs> really, <laughs> you know, what's going on, but it's, I had no idea he was going to do that. And to be honest with you, if he would have scored first, I would have never done it. Yeah. That's just me. Sure. You know, just at the time, but it, you know, it was just a fun, fun thing that just kind of things, you know, we never even thought about it. You yeah. know, just joking. Bunch of guys just saying, hey, let's have a bit of fun. Yeah. Not thinking it's on ABC. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we, we weren't that, we didn't get the good training in, I guess. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's incredible. Well, the 2000, that season, right, memorable for, for many reasons, one of which was the right. All Star Game moment. Um, and we talked a bit about, about Ray and what I love about, how you were talking about, I remember this. So I, <laughs> as a young kid enjoying uh, soccer. So I grew up playing hockey, but soccer was my game that I enjoyed purely as a fan. Yeah. I played a kick around game, you know, growing up as everyone did, but I didn't play it the way I played hockey. And so soccer, I could really just obsess over. And so even as a young kid, not really know anything about the X's and the O's, not know anything about mm-hmm. the Dutch total football of the seventies, right? Just watching MLS, because that was the only thing that I was watching growing up and seeing how Miami played in 2001 was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. And it really was the almost reckless abandon of you can just go wherever and then you haul ass back and play defense. It's like all offense and all defense, just like back and forth. I don't want to quite call it the same idea as like the total football Mm -hmm. of the Dutch, but it was a similar creative freedom mentality is almost what it felt like in a, in a lot of respects. Yeah, and it was one of the, you know, if you, well, if you see Ray when he announced his favorite teams are all, he lo- like he's very, he's not very English yeah. when it comes to fo- football in terms because he likes to play the passing style and he just loves that, you know. Um, and that was our, you know, he used to show uh, time just, hey, if it's not on where you want to go, just keep it moving. Keep it moving to, till it gets to the right mm-hmm. places. And listen, just keep it moving. Once it get, we get into um, their half, you know, then let's let's show the magic. I don't want to see any magic in our own half. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. let's show them and keep and keep the ball and get in our positions. And we were we were very comfortable knowing um, that we could keep the ball. Because we just had, you know, we had Preki, we had goal scorers. Um, and the funniest thing about, um, you know, Alex Pineda Chacon, I mean, he was considered, I don't, people don't know, and we didn't know this at the time, he was considered the Pelé of Honduras. Oh, wow. Before he, before he came over, he was 10 years at Olympia. He was a goal scorer. He played for Honduras national team. He had a great name, the whole nine yards. So when we signed him, um, I remember race, we were waiting on him coming. And when you see him, he's like this big. <laughs> You're just I mean, holding was, up your pinky finger. Yeah. Yeah. He was tiny. Right. <laughs> and the thing about him was, we, you know, you'd, we'd like, oh, you thought you'd be a bigger guy. Right. I mean, listen. I'm telling you, he looked like a high school kid. So like with no muscle tone, no nothing. 
And so he came in and, you know, obviously, remember I told you how, you know, yeah, he's from Honduras, but the South Florida heat's a different level right? when you're training. So we were getting him in and we're like, well, you know, he was struggling for so long. And then what happened to us, because we had a bit of fortune and, and this will explain a little bit, you know, of it. He came in as like, sort of like his big signing, but preseason we're like, no, he's not strong enough for this league. This is not going good. Right. You know, he, you know, he needs to adapt here a little bit. So if you look, the first couple of games, he wasn't starting at all. Mm-hmm. He came, and usually when you first get in, I want to say fourth or fifth, definitely around the sixth game is when he started starting. So he missed the first couple of games and he still scored the most goals in the league. Yep. And while we were training, we weren't sure about him. And we were like, well, I don't know. You know, this, he's not doing anything even against us. <laughs> so we put him in and, you know, preseason, nothing's really going, you know, whatever. So then, you know, you sign him, put him in for the one game and he scores a goal. Next game, Ray puts him in, scores a goal. Mm-hmm. Does it again. So at one point, Ray says, I mean, I don't think he's ready to start, but he keeps scoring. So what the heck are we, you know, we got to, we got to go. Yeah. We got to go for it. <laughs> and the thing, the thing during that time, he spoke very little English. And do you remember that saying? Can you hear me now? Yes. Sprint. Yes. It was singular for a bit. Right? And now it's sprint. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That one guy, that's the one thing I think of him. That was his first English words. He'd just come to the locker room and he'd go, you know, hi, fellas. And we try and teach him joking around, you know, make fun. All of a sudden, you just heard him say, hey, what'd you learn? And he goes, can you hear me now? You know, <laughs> it was the commercial. Yeah. You know, so from that, we're like, oh, this guy's a great guy, you know, you know. And from then on in, he, what Pineda Chacon had was an unbelievable personality, the nicest guy you'll ever meet. And he was able to fit into spaces where Diego Serna at the mm. time, he, he was, Diego was a different player because he was bigger, stronger, very, and he was a little different, but Diego liked to be the man too. You know, you know, that ego that he had, but it was funny because he was such a good player and a good guy. Diego didn't mind. I mean, that's the dynamic that you have, yeah. you know, for a little, cause, and it pushed Diego to score. Well, if he scores, I'm going to score. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because prior to that, to be honest, you know, we had issues with Diego, not just, you can't blame all Diego. Right. It was just finding a partner to play with, Yep. you know, cause, and to be honest with you, even when I play with Diego, sometimes the first five minutes, you give him the ball and depending if he gave it back or did the simple thing, you knew you were okay. If he tried to change the play of attack by himself, we knew we were in trouble. He, he, his he, mentally, he's a little off. Mm. You know, he's not following the plan, and right. you know. But this is, this is what happened. They both helped each other so good because Benita Chacon was such a good guy. Everybody wanted to help him. That's awesome. You know, to survive here, and Diego, we just had just an unbel- everything kind of went the right way. Yep. You know, it was like Ray signed the guy, but we didn't think he was going to score 20 something goals and lead the league like he did. And honestly, if you see our faces every time you scored, we a lot of us we were happy, but 
we would look at each other like, can you believe this shit? This, you know, <laughs> it's like, holy, this guy's not, this is unbelievable. Right. You know, right. whatever we do, this is working, you know? So, but like I said, we just had, we just had it going and we all trusted each other. If I gave the ball wide, I knew it could come back. Yeah. I wasn't worried about it. Yeah. And that's a big thing amongst the teams. I mean, just look at Man City now. Yeah. All, and all those great players, they flow the ball. You know, if you, you get one guy that's feeling it, it could disrupt the whole thing. Yep. And we just, and what did we have? We had a leader in Ray that demanded it and everybody listened to him. That's, that was his demand. That's you know, incredible. that's the difference in coaches. It's yeah. demands. What do they demand and what they let players get away with? And the biggest thing, um, you don't like to bring these up, but our first major issue we had was earlier on the season in New England. And, you know, it was two players, our main players, and he suspended them. Wow. As much as it killed him, he suspended them right away, missed the game. They begged him not to do it. He says, no. This is the way it is. I'm sorry you did it, not me. Mm. Those are the things people don't know about Ray Hudson. Yeah. You know, he's he knows how to run an organization. And for me as a player, when you see that, yeah, it's my friend that got it, but you're like, hey, he's right. Yeah. He's right that you know, he shouldn't do this. This is what we gotta do. Won't happen again. Puts everybody in line. And a lot of things went our way. But the reason they went our way, because between Doug Hamilton and Ray Hudson and, you know, Eric Eichmann and John Trask, you know, they just, they had a great working relationship throughout the whole thing. Eric and John took care of the field stuff. Ray took care of every, the mental, yeah. just everything about it and everything else, picking players. I mean, from then, Ray, any player that Ray signed worked out for us. Yeah, I mean, he knows his players, so we had a lot of luck, right? In in, in that sense, but we made a lot, a lot of our luck, and it really started that the year before because we had a good U.S. Open Cup run. Mm, that's and right. And that was, and that's what Ray said. Listen, we're really going to push it. We can't do anything late, but we're really going to go. And we went. We made the final. Yeah. So we lost to Chicago, but it's just one of those things. That's what we, that. That really solidified that open cup run solidified us to see, hey, if we tighten up a little bit, get a little more serious, we can do something. Yeah. That's incredible. You know, yeah. That's incredible. What was it like as we're starting to to wind down the journey of this wonderful trip down memory lane of the Miami Fusion? Walk me through when you heard the official news of the contraction, post supporter shield. The playoffs were over. You gotten kicked out by MLS's own San Jose Earthquakes. Um, what what was your off season like? When did you find out about Miami? Well, basically, we we had heard rumors, right? And then and then you come up to it, and you kind of like you know we had that disappointing thing. If you look at uh, the semifinals, um, we had. We played in San Jose, complete shambles, red cards. Diego certainly got a red card in the game, and he played the next game. So you figure that one out. What? They took the red card away. Yeah. You look at it, they took the red card away. He played the next – and it's just so many – can you imagine if we won mm. what they would have done? So, listen, you don't want to say conspiracy theories types of things, sure. but there's a lot of things that happened, and, you know, they kicked Ian Bishop out the second game. You know, so yeah. 
it was all, all that kind of stuff. So while it was going through, we weren't sure. And so we ended up getting, I want to say, through the whole off season. I mean, they knew, but they never let us know. And then what happened was they had an expansion draft. So what they did was they called all the players of Tampa and Miami Fusion and a conference call. And we all had, Jim Rooney, you're on? Yeah, we're on. Okay, you know, and you, you know all that stuff and both teams. And they told us that, look, we're going to have a dispersal draft. This was like on a Thursday. Jeez. And they said, we're going to have a dispersal draft. You're going to on the Friday. And so what ended up happening was they had the, the draft on the Friday. And then Saturday, sorry, Friday, um, New England had picked me up. And Fernando Clavillo called me. Are you interested in coming? You know, before I sign you. Uh, and I was like, well, what's going, you know, the whole thing. And we're like, okay, yeah, absolutely. And so when he picked us that we had to be there on a Sunday. So we had Saturday, this is for preseason, by the way. Yeah. So if we just had one day to know where we were going Saturday, pack our gear and head out. So now that I think about it, it's a little easier to do that than to hear us all complaining. <laughs> You know, we had we had no time to complain. That's true. Before I knew, before I knew, we had four of our players in uh, New England's locker room. Yeah, you know, so it was. Listen, there was. I think it got to the point. That, I mean, I've heard that they had a buyer for the fusion. Wow. And they had it all set, but our owner wanted twenty million dollars mm. because what he put into, and we had a buyer for fifteen million, and. They got just so sick of him. They're just like, no, this ain't working. And then his mentor, he came in with, I forget who the guy was, the New York guy, the first guy. That was his mentor. And he was out of the league. So then they just kind of got him out of the league, I guess, from there. So that's where the contraction thing. But we had four days of, we we learned everything in the amount of four days. And before I know it, I was up in New England. And now we we had to move from there. So it was, was it fair? No, <laughs> but you yeah. know, I want to, I want to, there's uh, certain, there's certain things in business. I think that, you know, players don't understand at the time, you know, looking back on it now, you know, listen, we're in the middle of it. Of course you're going to be bitter. You know, you take away, you know, one of the great greatest teams and we were just starting. Yeah. And that's yeah. a shame of it all for, for, as, as a fusion player. You know, you know, we just don't know what could have happened. That's very true. And I do want to point out, you said that the owner wanted $20 million, had a buyer for $15 million. For context, folks, David Beckham paid $25 million for Inter-Miami. So, yeah. now obviously, yeah. he paid that, or he had that locked-in price when he came into the league in 2007, because you couldn't get that much for an MLS franchise now. But it's just interesting, yeah. the, the dollars. Well... You left, you went, you played for the the revolution at that point. Um, this has been an incredible trip down memory lane for the Miami Fusion, the 25th anniversary. I want to say, is there one final um, memory that you have that you want to share with folks about your time in Miami? There's, there's, there's so many memories in um 
the one thing I, I will say, you know, we talked about Jeff Kassar a little bit. And I'll, t- I'll tell you a little bit of the story from his person. You know, you'll get it from him. But talking to Ray, and he'll probably confirm it or, or, or not. But, you know, when Ray was going to figure out who who's going to be the starters for our team, he told us all, he says, listen, I'm going to pick a starters and you'll all have four games. I don't care what you guys do. Now's the time to work. Mm-hmm. Get your thing going. And, you know, from the beginning of preseason to the end of preseason, those guys who are starting the first game, you, you're going to be starting in the first four. So, you know, as a player, you're like, okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. So we're doing that. And Jeff Kassar and Nicky Romando in the goalkeeper battle. And obviously, Nicky, he was phenomenal. He was great. The whole thing. So was Jeff. Jeff was healthy. I mean, Jeff had horrendous injuries. Like, like, you know, he had screws in his knees and all that. He had to play, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so he was doing really well the whole nine yards. And it gets down to making that decision. And I remember Ray coming to me. He was, you know, Ray was gutted. And he goes, he just said to them, he says, you guys are playing so great together. I really don't know who to pick. And he says, but he says, you know, he says, if whoever I pick, I'm doing an injustice to. And he says, and I, and I know it. And he goes, but I'm going to tell you, he says, I'm just going to go by a gut feeling. I'm just going to pick Nikki on a gut feeling. And it was a gut feeling, but he was honest with him. Yeah. With that. And to me, you know, those are the things, you know, you know, 25 years, you know, I look back and, you know, you know, we lost Doug horrendously, you know, um, and, you know, all the things that he, he, he did for us just as players and, you know, keeping it before the success, you know, there's other little battles to keep it going. And Doug, Doug did so much of that. I mean, you, it, it's incredible. And, you know, then when Ray came on board, both of them together, just, you know, being away from it now and seeing all those little pieces and, you know, being, you know, it's a big part of my life. But when you're going through it, you know, you're a little like, oh, why this is, you know, why is this? Why is this? And you see it now, of what they've done. It's truly incredible. I mean, I mean, we're, I'm still friends with, uh, you know, obviously with Facebook. Right. We have... Um, we had the t- our office staff, our team mom, Donna C- Cardoza. You mentioned that name to Jeff Kassar. We all called her mama. Yeah. You know, and she, she just took care. She spoke, she took care of us like she was a mom away. We had all, we had that all Yeah. at the, at the Miami Fusion. We had unbelievable people working there behind the scenes. And a lot of people are still there. And, you know, my thing is, it seems as it was deemed as a failure, but there were so many good, hardworking people there that it it wasn't a failure because if you say it's a failure, you know, you're looking at what we did as a, you know, it didn't exist. So just seeing, you know, it was the time of our lives, you know, and that was our lives at the time. We didn't know any better. We were trying to make the best of it and looking back on it, you know, the memory I have of just all those people like going to the appearances and, you know, 
seeing how it is. And now you see the stadium. Yeah. You know, that, I mean, the stadium is where we train. Yeah. And to see what it, what it is now is, is absolutely incredible. You know, I mean, we were basically, the best thing I can say about, we were old school players. We had a lot of old school players. I mean, and the time back then, I mean, I, I mean, many people have said to me that, you couldn't play MLS now the way you tackled and you see it now. It's totally different. Right. You know, and I wonder now if, if, if some of the rules, I mean, VAR alone would have killed half the league. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. You know, and yeah. some of the players, but just, you know, the time of our life, you know, as it ended up failing, but it was no fault of the people that were involved. Yeah. You know, they worked really hard and, like I said, you mentioned going to the um, uh, the Austin uh, the game. Cotton Bowl or the Cotton Bowl. You know, yeah, cotton, yeah. you know, think about think about this. One of my first games at the Cotton Bowl that people don't realize was at one o'clock in the afternoon for for um, Telemundo. Now you play a game at one o'clock in the <laughs> afternoon in Dallas in summer. Okay, forget it. And I'm stand I'm standing on the line. Like, I, this is a true story. I'm standing at, and, you know, at the time, Ronaldo came out with these, the Brazilian Ronaldo right. came out with the, with those special shoes and they were patent leather right by the toe for grip, right? So right. I had them. And I'm standing there and the national anthem's going on and it feels like my feet are on fire. Oh my God. That's how hot it is. You know that dry yep. heat there. Oh, and, yeah. And, you know, the aluminum bleachers just oh, generating heat. They were awful. I mean, and, you know, people saying, oh, the level of play wasn't that good. Well, you try and run around at 1 <laughs> o'clock in the afternoon in Dallas right, right. like that at a stadium. You know, get, you know, those are the things that it, it really is incredible when it, you see it now. It the is. differences, the players that we have to do. And listen, it, to me, it's great to see. It really is. I mean, it's become a proper league and every player – I think this is what we strive for. Yes. I think I like the way I think we can end it with this of there's an old school team, but I think the, the team dynamic was a little ahead of its time for MLS. I don't know the MLS was ready for that style of play, but they got it. And now you're seeing it. And now, I mean, we yeah. never, when this is out, people will know this and they'll go back and listen. But right now, all these rumblings about Messi coming to Miami, like, could you even imagine back with the fusion, someone to the caliber of a World Cup winner, Lionel Messi, coming and playing for Miami. It's incredible. Jim, thank you so much for taking this trip down memory lane with us. I appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks again. <laughs> no problem. 25 for 25 is a Detox Podcast production. Music production provided by KCWM on Spotify and YouTube. Recording, editing, post-production, and hosting has been completed by me, Joe Shaw. If you would like to follow along with this podcast, you can subscribe to it directly wherever you get your podcasts or by subscribing to the Detox Podcast feed. For more information about this and other Detox-produced podcasts, be sure to go to detoxpodcast.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast.com. And a special thanks to all those who took the time to share their story with me. If you want to continue to support this podcast, please share it with a friend and rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to it currently. Though Miami fans nowadays are decked in pink, I'll always bleed blue and yellow. Hashtag Fusion Forever.